Wednesday, May 12th, 2021. This is Messiah Matters number 343. Realize this morning I've been holding the heresy. My name is Caleb Hegg. I didn't know I've been on a show with a heretic for <laughs> seven years. Oh, yes, you do. I'm Rob Van Hoff. <laughs> How's it going, man? I guess, what's the guy he's right? The one guy from, like, like Arizona? Could you be just a little uh, bit more vague for me, please? Apologia. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or ap- apologia. Yeah. How do they say it? In Greek, it's apologia. Yes, all those lovely brothers and sisters down there. They were correct. Jeff Durbin. Yeah. Oh, there we go. That's the one. He was correct, Caleb. I'm a heretic. You have been determined a heretic. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, so there's a lot going on in the world today. I got to tell oh. you. Israel's under attack by Hamas and, uh, well, everyone pretty much. Uh, man, the, the pictures and the videos coming out of Israel right now are just nuts. It, it's really, it, really very impressive, honestly. Um, so prayers for everyone over in, uh, in the Middle East right now, all the brothers and sisters over in the Middle East and for the people of Israel for sure. Got interesting things going on in terms of the United States and Canada. Uh, all sorts of interesting things going on. I have a... Very specific feeling that uh, gas prices are going to go through the roof here any minute. Uh, I I saw something the other day that said that uh, there were states that were not were having complete gas shortages, like weren't getting gas. I don't know if that's true or not. Oh yeah, it's because they some they were uh, they were some hacked. pipeline was yeah. hacked. Yeah. yeah, pretty nuts. Anyway, so, so, we'll, yeah. we'll, t- we'll talk about some. We'll be talking about some of the stuff that's going on in Canada here too. We're not a political show by any stretch of the imagination. However, this actually does get into theology, and the reason why is because the debate between Christians. Be a Christian is to be a politician. <clears throat> uh, I don't know what that means. It's a political. It's a political uh, loyalty. That is to, true to a king. Yeah, absolutely. But the point is, is that uh, you got Christians that are you got Christian infighting up in Canada. Over the arrest of this pastor. Not only that, I saw that there are German priests in German Catholic world, which is strange, right? German Catholics are already a weird thing because <laughs> you've got the Lutheran right. tradition. Right, right, but right. German Catholics who are defying the Pope and blessing same-sex marriages. <laughs> oh, because the Pope says you can't do that. But these German priests are like, oh, yeah, well. Oh, yeah, watch this. Watch this. Interesting. All right, before we jump into all that, let's uh, let's take a second here. Um, we got this from one of our producers, uh, Kelly. Kelly writes in and she says, I would like to hear the bite about glue sniffing and putting wackadoo all over. Yes, I like that one too. I think that is my favorite these days. I also like Frodo's line. What, what Caleb likes is glue sniffing, <laughs> not the clip. <laughs> no. Not true. She says, I also like Frodo's line in Lord of the Rings that his 111st birthday party, I don't know half of you half as well as I should, like so on and so forth. Uh, thanks, Kelly. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to admit to you here that I have never seen The Hobbit. And uh, I know, I know, I know. Uh, I read the books growing up and uh, I read them multiple times. And uh, when I saw the Lord of the Rings, the trilogy, uh, I lost interest by the third one. I just didn't think it was good. Now, I know everybody's going to, what are you talking about? It was a masterpiece or whatever. You know, you take someone like Tom Bombadil out of that story and what do you got? Come on. Anyway, um, the, uh, so I, I searched and I found the clip nonetheless. 
And so let's try to give Kelly what she has asked for as a producer. If you want to become a producer, you too can become an executive producer and you can have uh, our sound. You can have access to, to tell us what to play in our sound clips. All right, here we go. Let's see if we can do this correctly. If you want to add glitter to that glue you're sniffing, that's fine. But don't dump your wackadoo all over us. I don't know half of you half as well as I should like. And I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. You've been blessed. You found the clip. Now, or did she did she send it to you? No, I found it. Nice. I like that. I rem, I'm glad uh, that Kelly brought that up. That's I like that. Uh, yeah, I remember hearing that in the movie, and I, I remember going. I think it makes sense. <laughs> I think that he said. I think that was like an insult. Right. right. It's, right. It's, well, I actually, I, I was know, right. I, I can't do the math. I can't do the math, but oh, I'm going to oh. try. On the. Uh, on the uh, the clip that I found, I'm waiting for like it would be like ooh, but no, they don't. In fact, they you know everybody's silent after that, which is actually pretty funny. Yeah, they're not sure how to interpret it. Yeah, exactly. All right, uh, now that that's all good and, and fine and done with. Oh, by the way, if you do want to become an executive producer, you can do so at torresource.com. Actually, you can also find steps at messiahmatters.com. Boom. Let's start promoting it. Uh, go to messiahmatters.com and you can find steps on how it will ultimately it will take you back to uh, it'll take you back to uh, Torah Resource. But that's neither here nor there. Um, you can find steps how to do all of that on uh, messiahmatters.com. Thank you to the person who uh, who bought that for us. Unbelievable. Actually, I'm not sure why their name is not in that. We'll get your name in the producer credits. Yeah, and it actually cost them a million dollars because the demand for MessiahMatters.com <laughs> right. was, was yes. so high. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, if you want to be part of the conversation, go ahead and do so. 253-465-3205. That's our comment line. You won't talk to us. You just talk to an answering machine. Also, send us an email, chegg at torresource.com. C-H-E-G-G -G at torresource.com. I suppose we could get a uh, messiahmatters.com, but we're not going to do that quite yet. We're not there yet. All oh, right. what did we? What is it we have? We have seahagatorresource.com, which is totally fine. But we ha we could oh, get we gotcha. could get like I see, I, we I could get Rob, info ad we or... could get Rob at messiahmatters.com. <laughs> you know, there, there's ways to do all this. <laughs> okay, today I wanted to, I want to let everyone know this. Um, today you can find notes for this show in the YouTube description. So I have given you three or four, I think four links now. Um, and the reason why is because we're going to jump into some really heady stuff here. And, uh, as I mentioned when we jumped into this, when in the intro, I mentioned that I've been holding the heresy. Well, let's talk about that. Actually, this comes from our, our talk of, uh, the two natures of Yeshua. Last week we talked about Yeshua's two natures. That he is now the the language when we talk about councils and we talk about church history and the and the debates that the Christians had, we have to be very very careful and specific about our wording. So, uh, we said that Yeshua is truly human and truly divine, truly deity. Now, I, I understand that a lot of people want to say fully. You can't be fully human and fully divine. That's an impossibility. Either you're fully human or you're fully divine. But you right, because be, the, the idea of fullness is, is, is a whole, is one whole. Yeah. Whole, W-H-O-L-E, whole. Okay, hang on just a sec. Our chat room is just too good. Where do I have? Oh, yeah, here it is. Uh, thank you for the super chat 
Love is bigger. Weights and measures. <laughs> You've been blessed. Oh, I'm never gonna hear the end of that one. People no, are okay. people. I love it. People love that clip, and as do I. And Thank I, you do, I feel much. the love. Yes, exactly. I, I feel loved. Okay, Just... so b- back to the conversation at hand. So the the, the <laughs> what we're basically going to be talking about for a little while here, and this I consider this our main topic, but we're going to do it first <laughs> because it's on my mind. It is on my mind. Uh, Caleb's heresy is on his mind. That is exactly right. Okay, so the idea is that Yeshua has two natures. He has one that is truly human, and then the other one is truly... And actually, his two natures are full in and of themselves, right? So in that case, we could say he has a nature that is fully divine, and then he has a a nature that is fully human. However, Yeshua himself is truly human and truly divine. Okay, so now that we've gotten that out of the way, um, our good friends and brother up in Canada, Mr. McDonald, uh, David McDonald, uh, wrote in and he said this, just listen to show 341, and this is really where all of this snowballed into a... Thank you, David. Yeah, a large debate. I love getting emails from David, not only because he's he's uh, a sharp thinker, but also because I love those guys up there, and I, yeah, I love hearing from them. Anyway... He says, just listen to the show 341 and really enjoy the discussion on low view of Scripture. Maybe we always long for the pure milk of the word and never treat it as trivial. May we never. Yeah, well, may we always. I hint did, of First Peter there, I think. Exactly. I like that, yeah. I did want to reach out regarding the Trinity discussion and the brief comments made on Yeshua's two natures, truly God and truly man, and Chalcedonian Christology around 20 minutes. Now, Stop real quick here. As most of our regular listeners will remember, I said that I have not studied out the Chalcedonian Council as I should. Now, with that said, I have read on the Chalcedonian Council before. However, I didn't realize the in-depthness of this debate and what I was missing. Yeah, In-depthness. I, I, I made that New word, word for today. Uh, I like it. This book, however, if you have a chance, I cannot recommend this book enough. This book is absolutely fantastic. I couldn't put it down when I was reading it, and I just picked it up again to look at the the part on the Chalcedonian um, Council. And once again, it's a, it's a page turner. Uh, this is the story of creeds and confessions, tracing the development of the Christian faith by Do- Donald Fairbairn. Baron, yeah, and Ryan Reeves. Ryan M. Reeves is one of my favorite historians of all time. He is still alive, and I think he's actually close to my age. And I keep trying to get a hold of him. So if anyone can get a hold of Ryan Reeves for me, I want to talk to him. Actually, to be honest with you, what I want to do is I want to take a church history course from him. I can't figure out where he's teaching right now. So anyway, if anybody, and it's not at Gordon Conwell anymore. I know that's what the internet says, but it's wrong. Another one that I found this morning is uh, Truly Divine and Truly Human, The Story of Christ and the Seven Ecumenical Councils by Stephen Need. Uh, there that one is. This book also is a page turner if you're uh, into church history, and I highly recommend it, even though I've only read a couple of pages of it. And when I say highly recommend, I can't say, obviously, if I've only read a couple pages, that the content is all stellar. However, what I can tell you No, is, but a, a couple pages was enough for you to see that you were a heretic. Well, and not only that, but a couple pages, <laughs> yes, yes, that is true. But a couple pages was actually enough for me to, to understand his writing style. And he writes not in the snooze like, oh when is this section going to be over? But as in like the page turning, like he really grabs your attention. So I really like that anyway. Okay. With all of that said, let's keep going with our good friend David's uh, comments on the Chalcedonian Christology. I know it wasn't the focus of the show, but it may be worthwhile cycling back since it was mentioned that Yeshua may, may, may have set aside or gave up some of his divine attributes. 
attributes, which actually contradicts the council the council's affirmation of Yeshua's divine nature. And then he's going to quote the Chalcedonian uh, Creed. Here's what it says: We then, following the holy fathers all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence. Okay, that sounds like a lot of words, but basically what they're saying is, when Christ comes to earth and is on earth, he doesn't give up any of his his divine attributes. Now, this obviously is going to bring a lot of debate. The reason why is because someone is going to say to you or to me, well, what about uh, Christ's omniscience? Certainly when he was in a body, he wasn't omniscient, wasn't he? was he? Okay, so we're going to address all this in just a few seconds. Let's keep going with David's uh, email. He says, when we say that Yeshua set aside or gave up some of his divine attributes, and this is the wording that I've used before, I don't say gave up, but I have said in the past many times, even last show, that Yeshua set aside his divine attributes, not realizing that this is actually a well-known heresy within the church. My bad. Mia Copa, Mia Copa. So David says, when we say that Yeshua set aside or gave up some of his divine attributes, is it not tantamount to lessening the divine nature of our Messiah? I think such language has, although unintentionally, the trajectory of monophysitism. I don't know how, yeah, monophysite is the, yeah, anyway. One of the very controversies that Chalcedonian Council, the Council, the Chalcedonian Council, Condemned. Okay, let's try to break this down so that uh, so that people monophysis can... is one nature. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, Nestorius and uh, and so there there's a name for those who have read the mem- the uh, memory craft. I have uh, tried to memorize a significant amount of church fathers and the controversies that have gone on, and I memorized. Eutychus or Eutychius or whatever his real name is, I actually memorized it as Eutychus. And the reason I did that was because it fit much better into my memory palace than the actual name. So every time I say it, I say it wrong. Once again, I apologize. Anyway, these two people came up with uh, different ideas on the nature of Christ, and this comes after the Council of Nicaea. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, let you in here in just a second because I want to hear kind of your understanding of this, Rob. But basically what these what these men did in, in different ways was try to understand how it is that that God could come in human form to earth and save his people. That's really what this is all about. And once again, uh, within these debates, they are extremely careful with language. And honestly, when we think about it, there's a good reason why they're really careful with language. And obviously, I have not been careful with my language because I have not studied out the controversies. And the 18th and 19th century heresy of the, the canonic heresy is one of those things that I had not studied out. Now, I got a, I got a clip from R.C. Sproul here, unbelievably good, which David uh, sent to us. And uh, so I pulled a one-minute clip, but I'm going to let Rob jump in here and talk a little bit about how he understands this. Go. I, I'd say let's listen to Sproul first. <laughs> so that you're not preaching heresy first. Too. No, I, I I just, I am not, this is not my wheelhouse. I mean, this is, I, yeah. I just, I tried, I, I'm like, okay, limiting, like what is, 
what what is biblical thinking in this matter? In other words, limiting ourselves to scripture. And the things that I think about are things like in Luke where it says, and the child grew in wisdom. Okay. Or um, yeah. And and, uh, there's another, there's two times in Luke when, when Yeshua is growing up where it talks about Yeshua kind of growing in wisdom and, uh, and, there's times where he, now I might in the past have used set aside also. I, I don't know if I have or not, but I might've used it in the garden of Gethsemane where Yeshua says, don't, you know, I could bring 12 legions of angels, but I would not have meant if, if I ever said right there, Yeshua setting aside, I that's, that's inaccurate language. What I, what I meant to say is that Yeshua retained full authority and power to do that he just did not do it. In other words, he, he because, because of his submission to the mission, which is to go all the way to the cross, right? That um, anything that got in the way of that, he would not employ, I guess, right? Uh, um, there's also times where it says, oh, you know, he left, he didn't heal anybody because he was unable maybe to heal people in that city or village because of their lack of faith. Okay. Those kinds of things, those verses stick out to me because I think, well, okay, is it really, is the, is the writer of the gospel really wanting to tell us about Yeshua's inability in the same way that I'm unable to, you know, pick up a car or something like that? Or is it communicating something about the nature of Yeshua's mission and who he would heal and who he would not. And that there's a mystery for us there. Right. Another is with the omniscience, there's times where he knows what's in people's hearts and he'll call them out on it, you know? And so, um, so I, I, I agree with what your point is about, we need to be very careful with our language. That's why I really appreciate David's emails is because he, just in the, you know, his communication, he all also is very careful with words right. and encouraging us to do the same thing, which right. I value. I value that feedback. So Some thank you, David. Some people may remember uh, David also for writing in it and, and taking us to task on our terms of tradition. Tradition. Yeah. Paradosis custom versus custom. Yeah. Right. And this is, this is important. And you can see why these councils, like you were just pointing out, Caleb, that take time to really be clear is because they're not trying to add to scripture. Right. When, when, when the councils are formulating these creeds, they are not saying these creeds are now scripture. What they are, they are, they are saying in the, in the, in our uh, upholding of the Holy scriptures, we are defending claims against Yeshua, right, or against the gospel that are getting traction among people, but are false. And so they're in the same way, like the tulip, right? The five points of Calvinism are not just, oh, we just read the Bible and came up with these five things. What it is, is we're reading the Bible and and these, these her- heretical ideas are coming out and gaining traction among God's flock. And so you have the shepherds stand up and are articulating responses. And at the same time, advocating 
good, sound biblical doctrine. But just but their formulation of these things, yes, are very carefully written and are to be understood and chewed on that way. But they are they're not. It's not now holy scripture. Yeah, and, so, and, and I think that this is one of the things that that honestly the, the Catholic Church has has really erred on. I mean, obviously the Catholic Church has erred on a lot, but they have erred in the in the idea that that the Pope and the councils are on par with Scripture, and and this ultimately means that human error has set, seeped into theology, and not just a little bit, a lot. Clayton uh, asks a question, and I think this is a good question that we can kind of talk about for a few seconds, um, because we need to make some clarifications here. Clayton says, was all the uh, conclusions from the Council of Nicaea correct? If no, then could they be wrong about the nature of Christ's divinity here on earth and wrong about the Trinity? First of all, we're not talking about the Council of Nicaea. We're talking about the Council of Chalcedon. Second of all, it depends what Council of Nicaea you're talking about. Technically speaking, the first Council of Nicaea was one where the Nicaean Creed was actually put together and formulated. However, the, the, the second Council of Nicaea, which we call the first council, which we call the Council of Nicaea, is actually when the council came back together and said we've made some some uh, some mistakes here, and we need to clarify uh, in terms of the way that our language is used. Once again, they are extremely careful about language, and all of their conclusions were based on scripture. The one thing that I would say is probably debated the most about the Council of Nicaea's creed the Nicene Creed in the church today, is whether or not Yeshua descended to hell. In fact, exactly. in, fact in the Baptist uh, prayer book that I just received, they've changed that to uh, dis- uh, like uh, lay, uh, descended to the dead or something like that, um, which could be, could be taken to mean that he went to the grave. So th- this is probably Your the Your dad mo- has a good article on the passage from uh, Peter that... That, that I, yeah, that's that's the one. That's the that's the one right there. Here, one other point: just scripture is is was written by men inspired by the Holy Spirit. These these councils are groups of men, right, seeking to commonly come up with language. So it's it's uh, it's just to compare and contrast. You know, I think that the the intro, I think the thing that people. A lot of the time, don't realize. A lot of the time, people say, "Oh, well, um, Constantine ruled the Council of Nicaea." That's not true at all. Um, or, uh, or he he called the Council of Nicaea. Well, kind of um, at the behest of of others of his religious leaders. Um, there's a lot of misconception. Uh, one of the con- misconceptions is a bunch of guys got together and made up their own idea about God. That is absolutely not true. In fact, the reason the Council of Nicaea had even needed to take place was because of uh, Arius and his heretical teaching. And what they do is they try to come together and say, what is the orthodoxy of the church? So the, the point is, is not what do I just want to say, but what do the what does the majority of believers today believe about these scriptures? And they actually talk about specific scriptures. So, right. It's 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 what does the Bible say about yeah, exactly. about this? So it's not it's not like some guys just saying, "Well, I think this" or "I think that." It's a bunch of people coming together and saying, "What does this text mean? And what does it say? And then how do we deal with that?" In fact, one of the reasons that the Trinitarian doctrine is is uh, is place the way it is is because what they would not do is is bend on what the scripture says unlike many religious offshoots today so for instance mormonism mormonism can't you know or the or the jw's they can't fit 
their the Bible into their own understanding and theology. So they bring up, they move into all sorts of heresy. The Council of Nicaea was not willing to do that. The Council of Nicaea and many of the other councils sit down and they say, what is it that the Bible says at this point? And, and how, do we, how do we build our theology around that? Not how do we fit the Bible into our own theology? Okay, let's go to R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul always has a way of taking these giant, giant concepts and bringing them down to a level where we can understand them. And Plus, I, he just has a cool name. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, actually, the, this R.C. is... R.C. Robin Caleb. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. It's, it's, uh, right. Uh, That's what it is, I think. Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, this is it that now this, I heard it from a friend. This link is actually in the YouTube description if you want to go listen to the whole thing. This is at the very end. In fact, this is the very last minute and seven seconds of his lecture on this. His lecture in total uh, is his his lecture in total is uh, about twenty six minutes long. So it's very worth going and listening to. Okay, let's take a listen. The final clause of this says he's talking about the final clause of the Chalcedonian. Uh, creed. The final clause of this says, each nature retaining its own attributes. That is, in the incarnation, God doesn't give up any of his attributes, and nor does humanity give up any of its attributes in the incarnation. That's why we say the human body of Jesus, the human nature of Jesus, is still subject to geographic limits. But one of the great heresies in the 19th century was the so-called canonic heresy that said that in the incarnation, deity gave up some of its attributes to be united to this human nature, which is a violation of Chalcedon. But I mean, even in our day, we have these people running around glibly saying that in the incarnation, God uh, does no longer retains his divine attributes. But Chalcedon, truly God, truly man, without confusion, mixture, separation, division, or division, separation. Each nature retaining its own attributes. Okay, so sprawl for the win here. Um, hang on just a sec. We've got to... Do we have a clip for a win? Yeah, right. We've got to, um, we've got to address some of, some of what's going on in the chat room. Even the uh, so talking the obvious they obviously talking about the councils they obviously didn't learn hands on from the biblical apostles or had another agenda. This is Raphael speaking. Even that them removing books from the Bible, I believe, was done on their own behalf. That's just me though. Uh, I I don't know what you're talking about because there's no council that took books or added books to the to the uh, to the canon. That that is simply wrong. That's a misunderstanding of of uh, the the formation of the canon and of the ca- councils that closed the canon. That's all there is to it. That is a misunderstanding. No council ever added books or took b- books away from the canon. What the councils did yeah, was close the canon. They said that the canon was closed, but they'd never added or took books away. So I'm sorry, but but that is that is not that is not an accurate portrayal of. Um, of of the councils who removed books from the Bible, I thought it was on the behalf of Council of Nicaea. No, you are wrong. That is incorrect. In fact, the councils of uh, talking about uh, the canon didn't happen until long after the Council of Nicaea. Council of Nicaea was simply on the deity of Christ. Um. So, yeah, I I don't even know where that that comes from. Uh, so, how did so many councils get the Sabbath and Torah so wrong? 
I'm sorry. I don't know where what you Clayton, you would have to now uh, talk about a specific council talking about the Sabbath. Now, granted, I will I will say that um, I will say that the the councils uh, certainly towards the end, right? By the time you get up to the creeds of the of and confessions, now all of a sudden you have things later in in the Reformation and whatnot that talk about the Sabbath. But ultimately, if you're going to talk about the idea that the Sabbath was done away with or something like that, you're not going to find that in a creed. There or one of the one of the councils. So, I mean, once again, we need to be specific. The The joy of the councils is that they're very specific. We can disagree with them. I am fully with the Reformation that we can disagree with the Pope and the, and the councils. Do not get me wrong about that. But, if, but we can't just throw out blanket statements like, oh, what about all the councils that talk about the Sabbath? You would need to, you would need to point to a specific council and specifically what they're saying about the Sabbath because I, no, nothing in my mind, like nothing comes to mind until like... Or, the, any, com- or any commandment. Right. Nothing comes the Torah for that matter. Nothing comes to mind in that realm until you get to like, obviously the Westminster Confession or the 1689 Baptist Confession, right? They say that, the, and I know that it was before that. Don't get me wrong, please... I, I can hear the emails being typed already. Uh, I know that they talked about the Sabbath before that and it being moved, but a, a saying that the Sabbath is done away with is a 19th, 20th century uh, invention. The, the, the 1689 Baptist Confession, the Westminster Confession, says that it was changed to Sunday. Council of Laodicea 361. You'd have, okay, great, I'm... Scott, I'm more than willing to to uh, hear that. Go ahead and I'm going to show your comment. Uh, go ahead and uh, and send me a, uh, a a a clip of that or a, a a snippet of that. Once again, I have no problem saying that the councils erred and that they erred in terms of the Sabbath, saying that it was changed. But they didn't. I don't see a council coming out and saying, "Oh, the Sabbath is done away with." Yeah, the early the early. Uh rhetoric is that we not that it's done away with it's just that we have a different day right right it's just a different day and that's all the early church father texts you know so it's not that it scott, was done away it's just they deliberately don't celebrate scott's it. on it I, lo- I love it scott's on it hang on just a sec let's go here he gave me a reference let's take a look it is not permitted to hold love feasts as they are called in the Lord's houses or churches, nor to eat in to spread couches in the house of God. That's 28. Christians must not Judaize by resting on the Sabbath, but must work on the day, on that day, rather honoring the Lord's day. And if they can, resting then on as Christians. But if any shall be found to be Judaizers, let them be anathema from Christ. Uh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I would clearly okay, wait, wait, wait. say. I, w- I would want to clarify some things. Sure. Because uh, if you look at who's, uh, oh, what's his name? Oh, John Chrysostom, right? Who writes about the the issue was believers. Now, I don't know the relationship, right? This is spontaneous conversation between Council of Laodicea, right? And, and, and uh, Chrysostom. But the idea was believer, people from believing flocks were going to the Jewish synagogues for specific reasons. They thought that they could get healing there. They thought they were, um, you know, there was sociological uh, uh, problem. Like you're going and you're, you're hanging out with people that reject the gospel. 
And, and because there's a Taurus girl there, you think there's a special blessing and things like that. And that people, and that there were, um, uh, amulets and, and, and different kinds of practices that were absolutely anti Bible. And, and so you have to, when it comes to like Chrysostom, you have to understand, you have to look at the specific context of what he's talking about to us. It just seems like, like it's an idea of a day. Oh, which day is the day? I don't think it was that way in the fourth century or fifth century. It was, it was group identification. It was like, you're regularly going and hanging out with people that are anti-gospel. And that's a problem. So we'd have to go with the, if this is a decent translation of, of the uh, Laodicean uh, text, then this idea of what does it mean to Judaize? It's pitted against to be, uh, to evangelize in, in the first couple hundred years after the destruction of the, after the closing of the canon. And to Judaize is in antithesis to evangelize. And so it's, it's a complex issue. What, so when I hear that, now again, I don't have the full context. When I hear say, you don't Judaize, don't go into their synagogues on the, on the Sabbath day. It's more than just, it's not just, oh, the Sabbath command is done away, point blank. It has to do with your networks of, of, of who you're hanging out with and who's teaching you to think about the Bible. Yeah. And that's, that's an important distinction for me. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I will certainly not defend the church fathers or the councils when it comes to their denigration of the Torah or the, or the commands of God. I mean, I am totally with the chat. Right. But I, 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 I don't see the vert to Judaize for right. them is not to teach the true Torah. For for the, for these people to say to, to Judaize and to and to be a, to be to not hang out with the Judaizers is not an anti-Torah statement. It's a don't hang out with the people that are misrepresenting the Torah and but, who reject the gospel. But just like but just like modern day Judaism that says that Gentiles should not need to break the the Torah if they haven't converted, so too it seems as though the council says you should work on the Sabbath. This is obviously anti-Torah, in my in my opinion. You should not tell someone to work on the Sabbath if the Torah says not to. With that said, all I'm saying is is that when we look at the uh, the Council of Nicaea, for instance, and the Council of Nicaea is the first council, right? Their idea of the divinity of Christ is spot on. It is spot on. That's all there is to it. And those who have tried to come along and say this doesn't work. They're 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 trying to work it out. Is it makes it even worse? There, I mean, it makes it so that they are downright heresy. And so, when we look at the Bible and what the Bible says about about the about the divinity of Christ and these things, and now when we get to the Council of Chalcedon, this is actually super interesting to me. And the reason why is because what what as I've studied this now, I've gone back and I've been reading more and more about Chalcedon and all these kind of things, and I still need to do a lot more research on this. There's no doubt about that. But the idea that Yeshua has two natures, I fully agree with. Now I have to check my own personal vocabulary and how I've said things and even my understanding of this and say it doesn't line up with Scripture. And what these guys are saying is absolutely right. 
Okay, let's go to a so so. Just to clarify here, once again, I I am not going to defend all of the councils. In fact, I think after you have after you have the second Nicene Council, which solidifies the the Council of Nicaea, uh, I think by that point you're starting to after that point. Uh, I think that the councils think that they have a lot of of uh, you know everything that they say is is of God. I don't believe that. So certainly I think that the councils can err. As Luther rightly said, right? Okay. Let's go back to my notes. Okay. This so uh Sproul mentioned this uh this canonic her- heresy. This comes from Philippians 2, to empty, to be emptied, okay? And the idea that uh Yeshua did not retain his position with God but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. So I went to my father's commentary, which is currently being written. You can find his notes on Philippians, uh, and you can join him on Wednesday nights uh, for a live class. Uh, You can find his previous recordings and his notes on Philippians on TorahResource.com under resources. This is what my father says in his notes. He says, when we look at the hymn as a whole, the picture is clear, even if the details are not. Yeshua himself, equal with God, left the realm of divine glory and took something to himself which he formerly did not have, the form of a bondservant and the likeness of men. The emptying or pouring out does not describe a metamorphosis of being but a radical change of position. Thus, the NIV and the ESV, which have made which have made himself nothing, is not only a paraphrase but a bad one at that. Nor does the phrase bring into view a discarding of divine substances or essences or anything of the sort. Rather, the picture presented here is the same given in Second Corinthians eight nine, and then he quotes Second Corinthians eight nine, which says. For you know the grace of our Lord Yeshua Messiah, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So the emptying of himself is the outward, uh, the outward, might we say, manifestation of glory, right? He says, restore to me. In other words, he retains all of his, all of his uh, deity and all of his attributes. And uh, also in the notes in the YouTube uh, description, you will find a Bible.org article, which I found very helpful. I actually read that this morning and thought, this is so good, I got to put this in the notes. Um, And I would encourage anyone who cares about this or thinks this is interesting at all. I find this stuff just mind-blowingly fascinating. It's To me, this is like, I could live in this realm all the time. Um, Anyway, this is what they say. The context of Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is that Christ emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Indeed, the overall issue from 2, 1 through the end of verse 15 is uh, is on various forms of outward expression. Christ being the example for the life of the saints in Philippi. Number one, Paul was uh, stressing to the Philippians that they should be self-sacrificing and should not have personal glory in mind as they live their life. Then he used the incarnation as an example. Two, Christ says Paul was in the form... Morphe, an outward expression of an inward reality of God, and did not consider this glory, this expression of equality with the Father, something to be grasped or held on to. So in other words, this, his glory and his, his uh, godhood is what he uh, emptied so that he could come in the form of a servant. And it's interesting that it says in the form of a servant, right? Okay, 
So I need to be much care- more careful with my uh, with my with the way that I talk uh, and my wording. Anything else on that? Nope. Yes, you do need to be more careful. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we all do. Um, I'm just trying to, in some ways, uh, catch up with the uh, the very intelligent and uh, very <laughs> on the ball uh, chat room. These guys, I, I appreciate everyone in the chat room. And the reason why is because this is where, um, this is where uh, ultimately we get held accountable, right? These guys know a lot more than I do in many things. Um, so, yes, I would be, uh, I'd be happy to uh, look at any other issues that people might have with the councils. And I agree, once again, I want to be very clear about this. I, ho- I, I agree with Luther on this point, not on everything, obviously, but on this point I agree with Luther. The councils can err. From the very beginning, the councils are the councils of men. They are not the councils of God. And so it's not scripture. It's not scripture. Once again, we have to go back to the scripture. The scripture is is king here. So uh, this is this is yeah. Um, okay, two natures. Where in scripture, please? Anywhere. Well, that's all over the place. So John one, Philippians two, um, Titus, pretty much all of the New Testament, right? The fact that Yeshua prays to the uh, to the Father, um, I, I mean, I could go on for quite some time. <clears throat> the fact that He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and seems to He says, "Not my will, but Your will be done." So, I mean, the truth of of two natures is pretty much everywhere. All we have to do is look for the John eight uh, John eight fifty eight Isaiah, the entire book of Isaiah. <laughs> Right. I mean, the Bible and its message that God would come in the flesh. How is that possible? Okay, let's move on. I want to talk about this uh, pastor in um, in Canada. Now, let's frame this. Let's frame this discussion a little bit before we start getting uh, before we start getting hate mail here. Um, there is first. There was a pastor oh, what, months ago. He was held in in prison. I'm going to get all these all these numbers wrong. He was held in prison something like something outrageous, like 25 days or something like that, uh, because he would not limit the amount of people that were at his service. He would not make them wear masks. And of course, the Canadian government government was not happy with this. They said that you know this is the argument for many Christians. Well, uh, this pastor wouldn't have been jailed if he would have just done what he was supposed to do. Churches can meet. They just are limited. That's that's the argument. Okay. You have another pastor who would not, and the video on this is, is amazing. Um, but the, the video of this pastor, this Polish pastor, uh, Arter, I believe is his name, uh, kicking out the police and the health officials on Easter Sunday uh, is, it, it's quite intense. It's, it's pretty amazing. Now, this Polish pastor keeps calling them Nazis and Gestapo. And I think that there's probably some, you know, reason for that being from Poland and whatnot. He sees a lot of the things that are going on. Now, 
this last week, this pastor was uh, had his church service as normal uh, without limiting capacity, and I don't believe they were wearing masks. And after he left his church service with uh, the other pastor, uh, the it looked what looked like SWAT or maybe just a lot of police descended upon the car and arrested him and his and on the freeway, right? On and the freeway, right. Yeah. Right. yeah. And uh, and this this uh, kind of blew up all over social media for multiple reasons. And one of those reasons is that you have one side of the Christian camp. We're not even going to talk about those who are not religious at this point. But you have one side of the Christian camp who says uh, this is discrimination and, and look at what is happening in Canada. How can this pastor be um, be arrested? This is horrible. So on and so forth. Uh, you know, this is the this is how Nazi Germany silenced so on and so forth. And then you have the other side of the Christian camp, which say, hey, the Canadian government's in the right here. And the reason why is because the Canadian government is looking out for the uh, the well-being of, of people in regards to COVID. They have tried to limit church service. They didn't say he couldn't get together. They just said that he needed to uh, rearrange and limit capacity, maybe multiple services. He could go on, inter- on the internet, all sorts of stuff like this. And so this has really, uh, really kind of ignited a... Uh, a, a firestorm of debate within the Christian circles. I will tell you right from the very beginning, full disclosure, I'm in the first camp. I think that the Canadian government has no right and should not be limiting anything or having any restrictions on, or the or the U.S. government should have no restrictions on on uh, religious gatherings. I don't think that that's their place, and I don't think that uh, I think that any time. A government comes in and tries to break up the ecclesia in any way. I think that that is bad, and that is that's a problem. Now, so that's where I'm coming from. With that said, and I'm going to let you tell your thoughts on this first uh, before I go to this. The other side of the aisle often brings up Romans 13:1 and following, and we're going to look at that in a few few seconds. But first, I want to get your thoughts on this situation. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, this it's tough. What one I I can't have, again, uh, let me my open preface is that I don't have all, all the there's more information to this than I have. So I I I'm just guessing. But my sense it, it, it just seems sensational. In other words, I wonder how much this guy's behavior the pastor whether it's the, him yelling at him in the church, you Nazis, Gestapo, get out of here, or when his arrest, saying, hey, make sure you're recording, make sure you're recording, and then all the name calling. Would it be the same if there was no video camera there? That's a question I have. Because well, it, well, it, it, it plays really well to YouTube clickbait. It plays really well into that. And so my question is, is there a little bit of leveraging that this pastor goes, you know what? I know this is happening everywhere. I know they're going to get me. Is he playing a little bit antagonistic for the sake of that? And if so, my second question is, is that true godliness then? Because in Peter, um, I was re- I was just reading in First Peter this morning, and, and I, I all of a sudden it hit me. He said, it says, uh, um, Chapter four, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes up 
upon you for your testing, as though some strange things were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory in God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, thief, evildoer, etc. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. So that the idea of one big picture, Peter says, look, if you're, if you're suffering because you're breaking the local laws and then you're claiming, um, you know, that you're suffering because of Christ, that's a, that's wrong because Yeshua did not open his mouth. So the, the question then, and this is my hesitancy because I don't have all the information, right? Is Yeshua didn't behave this way when they came and got him in the garden. He didn't kick and scream. He didn't call them names. He didn't do any of this stuff. And so now I'm for, I, I think it's good. Free, I'm pro freedom of speech. So if the guy says, look, you guys are behaving like Nazis, fine. But I didn't hear him saying, but he wasn't blessing them. He was responding with cursing in a way. I, I like, why do you say, you know, um, God is judge. God is judge. You know, right? Or the Lord rebuke you, right? Even in Jude, it says, you know, that Michael the archangel did not bring a, a accusation against the devil, but just said, uh, the Lord rebuke you. So the the picture is here. And this is where I, I'm just putting it on the table. I don't, I, there's so much information about this. I don't know. Sure. But it, my initial s- suspicion there, it does feel a little antagonistic on the part of the preacher. Um, I, I'm for his right. I, I, I agree with you. Uh, and the question is, should? I don't know what the, the actual laws are on the books in Canada, but I agree that a government should be, uh, should, you know, ideally in this world, but I mean, what does that help us? Because we're in a fallen world. Right. Should not, in, should not uh, break in to this guy or wait for him and to leave his service and then, uh, you know, because they, they look foolish, all the, especially when they send a, a, you know, what is it? Five or six different cars and a van, you know, uh, police vehicles. It's just overkill. It's complete overkill. They know the guy's not armed. I would imagine they know he's an older guy. He's not going to physically overpower them. Um, and so, so, so I think we can actually contrast this with the other pastor who was, uh, arrested earlier. You know, and then they boarded up. They basically put fences all around his church, right? The demeanor, what I hear you saying is that the demeanor was not what we would have hoped for. And I would agree with that. In fact, the demeanor from the first pastor, Coates, uh, he, he, I mean, it seemed to me like he was just, I'm, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to serve God. And if I have to go to prison, I'll go to prison, you know, and they board up his church and he, he had, does an interview in front of the, you know, right with the police behind him and, and he does an interview and he's just calm and collected the whole time. And yeah. You know. So to me, that is going to, and it's funny because someone could look at our old videos of Robin Caleb and say like, you guys need to, you know, learn your own lesson. Fair enough. Sure. But I think that from the outside viewer, who's not a believer, right. Seeing a, a guy who's a pastor, just yell a bunch of names, Nazis, you guys, you know, whatever is, is not going to 
it's just they're, they're just like man this guy's a lunatic i mean like he he's whereas the other guy they're going to go oh wow he's like look at how he's hand-. it's like what peter back to chapter first peter chapter four it says the the spirit of the glory of god rests on you you know which of these two guys reflects the spirit of god and and i would i'm just saying limited information the guy who says you know i'll go to prison and i'll do an interview and i'll use that as a platform to to for the gospel well, and and uh, I mean, MacArthur said it best when when uh, when they were threatening to put him in prison or in jail. Right? They were threatening to put him in jail, jail time for keeping grace open. And he said, "You know what? I've never had a prison ministry before." In other words, the idea. Yeah, is he said, if, "Bring it on." Yeah, yeah. If yeah. God if God puts me in in uh, jail uh, for doing what I think is is morally right, then by all means, uh, that must mean He wants me there. And that's kind of the mentality that I think. Uh, it, it is what we should have as, as believers. Okay, with that said, let's go to Romans 13. Romans 13 says this. <clears throat> this is used by, boy, I think even Biden cited this at one point. Um, so this is used by Christians all the time and believers all the time to say, oh, no, no, no. As long as, and, and this is kind of how this uh, this thought process goes. It says, basically people will say things like this. Um, as long as it doesn't go against the word of God, we should submit to the governing authorities. And they use this passage. This is what it says. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Okay, so at this point, it sounds like um, you could be talking about government, right? Um, and I'm actually going to argue that this is, I, I personally, I know Rob might take a different view th- than this. I personally think that, that Paul is talking about the synagogue authority and there's reasons why people are going to disagree with me on this. Listen to what comes next for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. So the sword is one thing that they say, aha, see, that's Rome. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subject in subjection not only to, the, to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities, our ministers of God, attending to the, uh, this very thing. Okay, so... Um, this right here is where people say, aha, see, it mentions the sword and it mentions taxes. Well, Tacitus and uh, Josephus both talk about the synagogue collecting taxes to take to, to Jerusalem. So that's where that's where I think he's actually talking about taxes. I think it, it's still talking about the synagogue authority. I know that there are people, maybe even Rob, I don't know, who would disagree with me on this. In terms of the sword, I think he uses this in terms of the idea of judgment, bring judgment upon people. So I think that what I personally think what Paul is doing here is Paul is actually writing to the the believers that are in Rome and telling them not to push against the authorities of the synagogue because they are in spiritual authority over them at that point in time. Now, by the time Paul gets there, there it seems as though he establishes or there's already established uh, uh, believing congregation by the time he gets there. But I think that that, that is what, and the, the Jewish population and the multiple synagogues, the Jewish population was very large in Rome. If I remember correctly, it was somewhere around 11,000, they estimate. 
11,000 Jews. So many synagogues. And I think they found, what, five or six synagogues from that time period in the uh, in in Rome. What do you think, Rob? Are, do you think I'm way off on this? Uh, I don't know how many. I, I don't remember how many synagogues uh, remains are found in Rome. Um, it's... I, I kind of can see it both ways. You know, I think Mark Danos was one of the ones that he, he that's how he made his name. What kind of was this book on his interpretation of Romans, Romans 13 right. in the, in the kind of vein that you're describing. Um, I, I can understand that as a good argument. Um, it for sure that we who are servants of Messiah, he's our Lord that we are. And you can see this in, in, how many of Paul's letters? And then again, back in first Peter, honor the King, right? This kind of language where we're in, we're in this world, we're in a fallen world full of different power hierarchies. And, but, but yet we are living by a power hierarchy that is unseen because we live by faith in the risen Messiah who has authority, all authority over in heaven and earth. So, just like we see Paul getting persecuted in the land of Israel, and then he appeals to Caesar, right? He appeals to Rome. He says he's a Roman citizen. Okay, so what is, is what's Paul doing? Paul is just negotiating the different um, systems, each of which is limited uh, for the sake of his uh, allegiance to Messiah, so Paul's allegiance to Messiah is fixed and certain. And so everything he's doing, he's doing unto Messiah. And whether, but then sometimes he'll, how many times does he say he received discipline from the synagogue, right? He well, lashes. Right. So that's, a, that's an argument or that's a uh, evidence in my view that supports your, pers- what your perspective you're putting out on the table, Caleb, is that Paul himself submitted to synagogue authority um, in certain, in certain instances. And, but in some instances they would, you know, they, they would not refuse to teach like acts is like at the beginning book uh, after Pentecost, you know, acts five, I think, or, or up to the stoning of Stephen, you know, they, it says we have to obey God. We're not going to, we're going to, we're not going to, you know, we have to, who are we going to obey God or man? Right. And, and so the answer is always God. So yeah, and, and the answer for us always has to be God. And, and the, but, our, but our local situation is, is fear of authority, to not just instantaneously say earthly authority bad. If we, we have to negotiate, as believers, we have to simultaneously affirm the authority of Christ in all things. And then that is the context by which we see, oh, I got a speeding ticket. Well, I was going 45 in a 25. Oh, but I had a Jesus is my Lord bumper sticker, right? So now all of a sudden I'm, I'm I persecuted now at, or no, no. Peter would say, no, you should get that ticket and you should pay it because you broke the law. Don't say Jesus is my co-pilot or, you know, or whatever. Jesus take the wheel on my bumper sticker and then claim that because your faith, you somehow are not accountable to this other authority. That's just, these are just little examples, but the idea is, I think it's an, our, our lives are an ongoing uh, path. We're walking with the Lord, negotiating these kinds of different 
challenges. You know, how many times have people like, oh, I'm out of here. I'm not coming to this church anymore. I don't like what the, uh, uh, because, because they wanted to discipline me and I, re- you know, I, I reject their discipline. So instead of saying I was wrong, I'm going to go, I'm just leaving. Okay. That, that's a heart problem, right? That's a heart problem of the person before, before Messiah. Um, and so at the same time, at what point am I going to say, well, my government, you know, I'm not going to listen to them, you know, because it could be the same pride problem. Uh, I don't, I don't have a, a, a one sentence answer. I just think we, this is our challenge is to negotiate clearly. You look at the Romans 13, look at first Peter, and then all the, all the epistles, those short uh, epistles where it's like, you know, what if husbands love your wives, right? Right. Uh, if you're, if you're a slave, honor, honor your master, right? Is it advocating slavery? No, it's saying a, a new born again believer who's in this life in the situation of a slave, they need to be careful in negotiating and staying true. Do all things as unto Yeshua and try to, uh, you know, if you can, is it in, in Philemon? If you're able to get release out of it, get out of it. But if not, don't sit there and be a complainer. So, you know, it, it's there. Everything in this world to me is a matter of trade-off. What is non-negotiable for the believer is is that you are a new creation and Messiah. He's your Lord, and you are accountable to Him in all things. And to if you're going to grow in in the discipline of the Lord, you're going you you know you want to be obedient to Him and not let the flesh and your you know your uh, bitterness towards this other's situation be your governor because that's not going to bear any good fruit okay i'll stop so lee lee says i can't see paul telling believers they are under the spiritual authority and i i probably misspoke with spiritual authority the authority though i think that there was authority within the within the um uh, within the roman uh synagogue and just the synagogues in general uh for multiple things by the way not just spiritual matters so under the spiritual authority of unbelievers or people who uh ought outright reject Yeshua. Paul was beat to remain a part of the synagogue to witness. Uh, yeah, I would agree with you. However, the point is, is that once again, the synagogue officials did a lot more than just look over the spiritual authority of, of people. By the way, we also have to remember that at this point, there was no split between synagogue and, and church. There were, there were quote unquote churches in places where there was, where there wasn't a lot of uh, synagogue or where the people had been run out of the synagogues for sure. But by the time Paul gets to Rome in the end of Acts, and by the way, the Rome uh, Romans has already been uh, already been written to the Roman community, right? Romans is already written long before Paul gets to to Rome. By the time, right, he, right, exactly, he'd never been there. And by the time he gets to Rome, there's still debate within the within the synagogues whether or not Yeshua is the Messiah or not. In other words, you still have he. Paul calls the the synagogue officials in Acts twenty eight. He's and they come to the house and he reasons with them all day long. In other words, there's not this idea that oh no, the synagogue officials by this point have all rejected Christ. In fact, you may have had believers. We see this in other places within Acts as well. That some of the synagogue officials actually have accepted Christ. And so, so once again, I I think that there's kind of this idea like it was cut and dry by the time Romans is written. I don't think that's the case at all. I think believers and and non-believers, especially in Rome at the time, they were worshiping together in one place. 
and the taxes were being collected in the in the Roman synagogues. And Paul's basically saying, look, don't just don't just come in and, and stir up strife or you know try to, to go against the leaders or not pay your taxes. That's not the way that we we act. Certainly we acquiesce to everything that the Messiah would say. In other words, the Lord is is king. So um, yeah, I mean it's a good it's a good conversation. There's no doubt about it. All right. I thought that we weren't going to have enough to talk about today, but obviously I was wrong. Uh, thank you to everybody in the chat room who keeps us on our toes. There's no doubt about it. And uh, yeah, I appreciate uh, people being willing to uh, to do some work and, and send us send us different links and all that kind of stuff to uh, you know show us their thought pattern. It's very good. Um, yeah, and I think that obviously one of the things, if you get nothing else from this show. Uh, we need to be praying for uh, the people of Israel right now, and we need to be praying for uh, just believers in general in Canada, in America, all around the world. And don't forget that there are actually believers who are legitimately being persecuted, uh, like legitimately being persecuted right now, uh, and we need to be in prayer for them as well. All right. Well, We'll be back next week. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why? Because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.